Welcome back to Like a Bigfoot Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Um, I gotta say, guys, after I got done recording the episode that you're about to listen to, I instantly texted a bunch of my friends and I said, oh my God, that was one of my absolute favorite episodes of the podcast uh, of all time. Um, So you're about to listen to it. So we're going to just dive right in. Uh, Today, we're sitting down. We're talking with Gavin Hinnigan. Gavin is an adventurer who has traveled and lived all around the world uh, because he also works as a deep sea saturation diver, uh, which we get into. And he's taken on just an incredibly diverse set of adventures. Uh, He's done everything from um, ultra endurance races, uh, a lot of winter ultra marathons uh, in the Arctic Circle, the Yukon. And one of the main things we talk about, he just got done winning the 350-mile Iditarod Trail Invitational on foot. Um, He's explored areas of Siberia. He's climbed a bunch of high altitude peaks in the Himalayas. uh, And he's also solo rode a boat across the Atlantic completely by himself. Um, But most importantly, he's just a really good, awesome, inspiring dude. And I hope that is the main takeaway you get from the podcast. Uh, So I'm so incredibly honored that I had the chance to sit down and and chat with him. Um, Like I said, I left the conversation just ready to take on the world. Um, He is so inspiring, so motivational. Uh, His stories are just captivating. And I just really hope you guys... Uh, love this episode as much as I did. Um, so once again, huge thanks to Gavin. Let's get right into it, though. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 194 with Gavin Hennigan. All right, guys, today I am super honored and really excited to uh, be able to talk with uh, an Irish extreme endurance athlete, Gavin Hennigan. And uh, dude, you've done some crazy stuff, uh, including something you just got back from. So I'm excited to go into like all of this stuff, man. All right. <laughs> yeah. Good to be here, Chris. Yeah. Cheers. Well, welcome back from like the depths of the wilderness in Alaska. Yeah. Uh, just uh, just got back there. Well, it's nearly two weeks ago now. Back to France, to Chamonix, where I am now. Uh, pretty much straight into lockdown yeah. here, which is uh, obviously unprecedented times at the moment. But um, yeah, I was uh, I was actually out in Alaska for a month altogether. I went out there in um, middle of February and had a couple of weeks out there before I started the Iditarod Trail Invitational, which is a 350 mile um, race on foot. You can actually do it on ski or bike, but I did it on foot. That's awesome, man. Well, so did you guys, were you hearing things while you're out there about how, you know, crazy everything was getting with the lockdowns and the virus and stuff? Well, it's sort of like, actually, we we had a bunch of cases here in the valley. Well, just the next valley over, like just before I left. And, you know, at that point, people were starting to get a little bit scared. But there was like no, people couldn't fathom you know, what was going to happen yeah. with the lockdowns and stuff. And I, yeah, I just got, re- I, I was just really lucky. I suppose the whole thing just kind of, you know, I finished, um, I finished the, the, tra- the trail on, um, 
in McGraw on the uh, I think it was the, the sixth or the seventh. And, you know, I flew out on the I think it was the ninth back to Anchorage, um, and then on the tenth I flew back on the eleventh, and it was like four or five days later that we went into lockdown. So wow. yeah, I was I was very very lucky, you know, because the the people who went on to Nome because you, you, they did our trail goes all the way from just outside Anchorage um, all the way to Nome. It's a thousand miles, and they have a, a shorter version, which sounds a bit crazy. It was 300, uh, 350 miles, and then they have the longer version. And there was a bunch of people still out doing that. And yeah, they a couple three bikers finished um, yeah. after twenty two days, but a, a bunch of other people had to be turned back because a couple of reasons. They, you know, they ran into a lot of trouble with um, not being allowed into towns because of the virus. You know, and also the the weather was uh, really crazy with the sea ice and stuff up uh, near the coast. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, as I said, just yeah just really delighted that i got to go there you know kind of uh, have the adventure and then get back in one piece and i'm pretty happy to be uh, locked down right now yeah yeah man well how how was the alaskan experience like in a nutshell uh just wild the whole thing was absolutely insane i, I like i went over there early a couple of weeks beforehand um and i rented a camper truck so i kind of wanted to see a bit of alaska and hang out and I had a few connections over there and um, you know the people over there were so amazing. Um, I met up with um, just a guy that I knew from split, from splitboarding because I do a lot of um, backcountry snowboarding and stuff like that. So I met up with a couple of guys through that, and um, they were just you know so good to me. Like um, a friend of mine, um, uh, Anson, you know, let me stay in his place in Girdwood, so I went snowboarding down there. And then my other friend Ben, he had he you know took me snow machining for the first time out to this glacier. We went inside this glacier. Um, and then I had another connection through an Irish friend and she really looked after me out there. Like they, uh, her and her family, you know, uh, the couple of nights before the race, you know, they, uh, they, I went and stayed with them and they, you know, cooked me a big meal and, and brought me to the start of the race and stuff. So, you know, the whole, uh, that whole pre-experience really kind of made it for me, whatever about the, the actual race itself and, and, and that whole, um, <laughs> um, side of it, like the people up there were just really amazing. And sort of that really, you know, was the kind of cherry on top for me, just having the, having the sort of the hospitality of the, of the Alaskan people, which was, was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got connected through Ryan and Emily Wanless mm. and I, I've talked to them, uh, post-race now. Um, okay. and they mentioned just the community aspect of the whole I did around like what yeah, did you find so, with that yeah that was yeah i mean obviously i was talking there about the the few people that i knew outside of the race but the, yeah the actual the, the the community people then within the race i mean it was yeah pretty close close net bunch of people we had a big kind of meet up um beforehand uh the day or the two nights beforehand we had a big kind of get together and you know, everyone just hanging out and stuff and then there was another local guy Lars who who was really helpful to me uh, online beforehand and he you know gave me a whole lot of guidance around the tra- trail because like the the distances are off and it's actually closer to three it's more more 300 miles than 350 but it could potentially be longer and um, so he was really helpful and then um I met, met up with him as well and did a couple of training days and yeah just really really great to be you know just sort of connected into all those people and then like all the volunteers um, um, at the checkpoints and stuff, you know, there are a lot of people that have done the race before and people who just want to be kind of, you know, involved in the sort of community aspect of it, which, which is, um, which is great. And then obviously the people that I raced with was, that was, you know, it was just, um, um, it was just amazing to be kind of constantly meeting people out there, you know, even though you're out there on your own for long periods of time, but you always run into, um, you know, a biker or another person on foot. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, and then when you do your, it, this is another person crazy enough to go up to Alaska and run 
or 350 <laughs> or bike 300 you know what i mean so it's like like-minded <laughs> individuals that you're meeting absolutely yeah i mean you're you're just hanging out with people who've just got other crazy ideas about doing <laughs> other stuff and yeah it's sort of uh you just get a lot more inspiration do you and you sort of you don't have any boundaries in around you know other things you could do and like yeah i mean i'm hoping to go back and go to gnome eventually you know um <laughs> uh, whatever happens with all this uh covid19 stuff but like yeah meeting some of the people that have been all that i've gone to gnome before and some of the bikers and stuff like that yeah that was super inspirational for me so yeah it's just it's great to be you know involved in that in that sort of um uh community yeah i gotta ask like what other like you're saying people out on the trail and i've experienced this in ultras too where you just hear people talk and they're talking about their next thing and like the next crazy thing they're gonna do and i'm like you're in the middle of alaska like fighting <laughs> moose presumably and like what what are people talking about doing uh well this is kind of the beforehand i, I had a couple of conversations about um yeah about stuff like that but uh, yeah like you said when you're when you're out there it's probably the last thing on your mind and, and even since i come back you know i'm yeah i'm kind of i had plans to do some stuff in the summer but i'm I'm pretty willing to just shelve all that with 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 this covid19 stuff and you know just kind of focus on what's important you know so yeah um but yeah i know you're dead right like when you're out there and you're in the midst of it um yeah you're you're just trying to you know you're just trying to get to the finish you're just trying to survive and yeah trying to plan plan other adventures and stuff but um but you have a lot of time to think at the same time so you know you sort of yeah you do kind of you know um you do, your mind does start to wander and dream of other stuff as well <laughs> what did you have any uh like low moments or oh yeah <laughs> yeah so like w when you get into those spots and i guess we can talk about this like on a wider scale yeah. with all your adventures but when you get those like sinking feelings like how do you how do you stay positive how do you get yourself out of it well, I don't really. That, I think that's yeah. the whole point, you know, because I think, you know, there's a lot nowadays, a lot of people are like, they kind of like kind of like forcing positivity down people's throats. And like, there's, there's a point in these races where it's going to get dark. And, you know, if you're not ready for that, um, you know, there's no amount of like positivity is going to, you know, like change that. So you just have to be willing to go into a dark place. Um, and, you know, that's kind of where I'm at, like with myself, you know, I'm kind of I realize that's going to be there's going to be some grim times out there. And it's just to, you know, kind of embrace that and, and, and just go with it. And then it'll eventually get better at some stage, usually when you finish. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, yeah, I had some pretty, pretty shaky moments. Like, like I, the, the, this year, the, the, the weather was crazy. You know, I'm, I'm sure you heard about it. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of snow in the beginning. It slowed things down. I think, I, you know, we were wearing snowshoes for like 50% of the race, probably more actually, probably more like 70, 75. So it was a lot slower. I kind of, you know, looking at the trail in the beginning and uh, when I first planned to go out there, I, I kind of thought I could do it in about five days, you know, it took me six and a half. Um, so like I, I, I kind of had an idea in my head, like how much sleep I'd need, but I ended up having to like pack a little bit extra food in the beginning. And, and, you know, I, I sort of pushed it like with the sleep deprivation as I always do, because I'm just that way inclined. <laughs> I, I, I always go, go right to the edge. And then, yeah, the last, um, the last day, the last 18 hours was, was a real struggle because I did the last um, 50 miles in one push um, in 18 hours. And it was like, yeah, I was really fighting to try and like, you know, um, stay sort of coherent, you know, with where I was and what was going on. I was hallucinating extremely. I couldn't, I couldn't, it was dark. I'd left the last checkpoint at eight o'clock in the morning um and then i pushed all the way through the day and then into the night and i got to got to the finish at like two o'clock in the morning but about 10 o'clock at night 
you know, I was completely kind of swinging all over the place. I wasn't really, you know, walking in a straight line and uh, I couldn't really look up because all the trees were just like forming, you know, shapes and I was seeing people and I just, it just was so uncontrollable. I could literally just look at my feet and there was a couple of moments where I literally, I, I, I was like asleep on my feet and blacking out and, you know, I had to like smack myself in the face and I was like putting snow, snow across my face, trying to wake up and kind of shouting and screaming, like telling myself to, you know, keep it together. And, you know, I kind of was getting really paranoid then because there was a guy a couple of years ago who was his first time doing the race as well. And he was in the lead, which I was as well. Um, and he uh, was really sleep deprived. And then he unhooked his sled and kind of walked off and then he had to get rescued in the end. Wow. Um, and you know, it was, it was quite, quite a gnarly situation, but he didn't, you know, he didn't get a frostbite and it wasn't that, wasn't that cold. And, um, so I kind of had that in the back of my head. I listened to like a, a 10 junk miles uh, podcast with him, um, about that. And I, you know, that was in the back of my mind, but like, I kind of was at that point where I, I was, I was really paranoid. Like, you know, everyone was watching my tracker and they knew I was falling apart and like our head was totally gone. And I was just like trying to hold it together. And of course, like nobody was like, when I got to the finish line, there was like one person there, the volunteer had come out, like everyone was asleep. Like nobody cared that I was finishing. Just single clap. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, good job, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, I was like, in my head, it was this, I'd have built up like, oh, they're gonna come and like rescue me in a minute, and they're gonna be like, your race is over. But uh, that's the the nature of the uh, the organization there with um, with the Iditarod Trail Invitational. They there's very there's like no um, you know they don't tell you you can or can't do anything or can't leave a checkpoint, and you know you're on your own out there, and it's it's really evident. Like even before I went out there. I um you know I knew we were getting spot trackers you know the and I have a spot tracker myself but they were giving giving one to us and you know your spot tracker you've got your SOS button and all that so I thought oh that's that's cool we'll have that little kind of safety net and then I actually had a inreach um, explorer the Garmin explorer and I gave it to one of the other guys who needed to contact his wife every day so we get there anyway and I get the they hand out the spot trackers but the, the little black ones they're like the ones that are people they've no buttons on them yeah they're the ones that people use to put on I don't know like their boat or something if they wanted to keep an eye on it in a in a in a marina that it hasn't like you know coming off come off a mooring or something so they're real basic so there was no I had no safety net so you know there was points where I was yeah like completely in the middle of nowhere and if something had gone wrong like I, I wouldn't have been able to press any button or anything so um you know i didn't have that at all and that was a that was a obviously um a concern like so I, you know i had to be pretty smart about how it how it did things you know but like i said there right at the end um nearly the wheels nearly came off but i you know i managed to just get over the line you know how do you where do you find the bravery for you know putting yourself out there where you're there's no safety net you know yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a hard one, I suppose. I like, um, like obviously, like anyone who does these things, like you like the challenge, and it's just the sort of, um, <clears throat> you know, maybe it's a bit of stupidity. I don't know. Like, I mean, when I, so I was in the middle of the race. I was, um, um, I got to Puntilla Lake, which is rainy, just before rainy pass, about halfway through the race, um, and before that, it had been quite a tough section. There'd been a lot of wind, and it was like, uh, you know. Well, a bit of a windstorm actually there was like these kind of ground blizzards and it was pretty intense um and then i was kind of in this race with um, this other guy rob henderson um and he was he'd won it last year and two of us were kind of you know we were, we were kind of moving together but we were also definitely in a race 
um, and we got to this Puntilla Lake um, checkpoint, and we 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 rested there for a while. But he had a little bit of an Achilles problem, and he you know he's saying it's a bit sore, and he's not sure if he was going to scratch or something. So um, we had a rest anyway, and then we both got up and kind of left at the same time. He left ahead of me. And we were heading up to Rainy Pass, and Rainy Pass is like the kind of crux of the whole um, route, really. You kind of go right up over um, <clears throat> the Alaska Range, you know, the kind of lower side of it. Um, you're still up over like 3,000 foot. Um, <clears throat> and, it, you know, it's uh, it's tricky enough, but like you add in this like crazy windstorm, like 50 mile an hour winds, and like sort of negative, I think it was negative 15 or something. So there was like a negative 50 wind chill. Um, so, you know, and we were leaving there at like five o'clock in the evening to go up there over up there at nighttime. Um, and I, on the way up there, like 20 minutes after we left, like Rob was, I met Rob coming back the other direction and he was like, look, my Achilles is, is I'm not going to risk it, you know, cause obviously it's a, you know, committing part of the route. I'm going to head back to the lodge. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, you know, say goodbyes. I said, hopefully, you know, you have a rest and, you know, get back out there in a few hours or something. And then I headed off on my own. So at that point, like I was completely on my own, like up until then I was, you know, we were kind of close enough to each other at times. And he, and he was, he, he was a, a veteran. He'd done, he'd done the race last year. So, um, you know, and the funny thing is, well, funny kind of stupid thing is, or well, going back to there is that when we had the briefing for the race, the one thing the race director had said to us, like, if you're a rookie, um, don't go over the pass on your own. And especially not at night, and here I was like walking up to go over the pass, like as it's getting dark, you know, in this like 50 mile an hour, like windstorm, like with everything on, like all my, my expedition down, like a face mask. And I, I literally just couldn't stop. I just had to say, I was like, right, I just got to keep basically walking forward and just not stop. And I, and, and, you know, it got dark and I kept going and it was, it was a brightish night. There was a sliver of moon, you know, there wasn't any clouds. So I could definitely see where the pass was. And, you know, I just, I looked at some photos and I knew there was a general bit of a trail, but it was blown out a lot of the time, you know, because it was like this windstorm, like the there was no no marks, you know, like um, the snowmobile tracks or no tire marks or anything. So um, it was quite it was quite scary as well at the same time. Um, but like as I was walking up there, I was thinking to myself, like this is this is quite literally this could literally be the stupidest thing I've ever done, or else you know it could be something that I can get through, you know. So I really had to kind of jolt myself into. Um, into the moment and really just just say right this is you know i need to be on my game as much as possible here and i need to uh you know make good decisions and and, and not mess up so um you know i got i got through the night like it was a, a, a battle like I, I got to the top of the pass at like three o'clock in the morning i'd lost the trail at that point i was wading through snow up to my knees and my feet were really really cold at this stage you know i was like you know really starting to get worried like if i don't get these warm in the next you know sort of 20 minutes half an hour like i could get frostbite so i, I got out some um hand warmers and cracked them and I stuffed them into my um into my shoes and um I got over the other side then and the trail the wind died down on the other side and the trail was you know much more prominent so I just got on the trail and I just started running as hard as I could down the trail for like about an hour and I just you know started to really warm up then my toes got warm and stuff and you know so I made it I made it through that section like so yeah there was a lot of a lot of stuff like that going on you know that's crazy man well so I know you know, you don't just wake up one day and then do the Iditarod. Like I know there's a, a journey and in like incremental steps. So how did yeah. you, how did you get into adventuring just in general? I mean, uh, well, I suppose just to like quickly go back, I know we haven't got all the time in the world to tell yeah. my whole life story, but like I, uh, like when I was younger, I had a, I had a substance abuse problem. You know, I was, um, uh, drug, drug and alcohol, um, 
addict uh, uh, as a teenager and I ended up in rehab at 21. So, um, like, you know, I kind of had a lot of trouble with myself, you know, I, like I had a suicide attempt. I couldn't come to terms with the fact that I was gay at, at the age of like, you know, 18 and stuff like that. And like, I struggled, you know, immensely with all that stuff, like come from a, uh, you know, my parents split up, like my dad was an alcoholic, you know, like quite a, like a kind of, you know, sort of tough kind of, um, period, like when I was growing up, um, and like I came out, came out the other side of that, um, you know, at 21, I kind of realized that like my life wasn't really going anywhere and, and I ended up, you know, going to rehab and, you know, just to, not just to brush over the whole thing, but, um, like a few months after coming out of rehab, like I was still struggling because, you know, at 21 years old, um, you know, trying to <laughs> stay off drink, drinking drugs is tough. And I actually went surfing for the first time. Um, and that was kind of, was the sort of, um, the start of adventure for me like I I got like completely addicted to surfing in the same way I would have been addicted to drugs but it was something really really positive Um, and my life completely changed after that you know and I went on this complete um you know quest of adventure I suppose from from that from a few months after that um up until up until this point so I started off with surfing um you know I I, uh, I'm from the west coast of Ireland like which is like got some of the best waves in the world so you know, all of a sudden this place that I, my place of where I grew up that I sort of hated and wanted to get out of is all of a sudden became this kind of treasure, treasure land of, of, of really good surf. And I just, you know, had this, uh, amazing positive thing to focus on. So it, that, you know, adventure and sort of, you know, all that sort of stuff really saved, uh, saved my life, you know, and, and then just one thing led to another. I, I, I went to Australia a few years down the line um, to work over there. You know, I, I didn't have any education. I left school young and like I, you know, sort of no qualifications and stuff like that. But I, I qualified, I went to training school in Australia to be a commercial diver. Um, so then I've had this job for the last sort of 15 years where I've been um, working as a, a, a heavy construction uh, diver all around the world on the oil rigs. So I've had like, this pretty crazy existence where like I fly all over the world uh, to different parts of the world and and um, you know dive down to really deep depths like down to like you know 600 foot and do like uh, construction work and then I get like you know a few months off and I go on like different like surf trips and then I got into um, snowboarding through surfing which is why I ended up in Chamonix um, and you know I did a lot of like expedition stuff to that got into like some sort of a lot of mountaineering and stuff and then about six years ago now I started doing more kind of competitive like kind of races and stuff like adventure races um and then got into like the winter ultras I went and did a um the winter ultra in, in Canada and then I did another one and I'm there and you know one thing led to another with that and then I went and uh rode across the Atlantic which obviously is a is a big deal <laughs> So yeah, I've that's the craziest journey, man. Like <laughs> it's just so many different areas that you're taking. Yeah, on. I know. Sorry, it's hard to squeeze it all in. I no, it's amazing. A, you've only got a, a bit of time, you know. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to like you know start talking and, and like three hours later end up back at this point. So um, <laughs> no, yeah, man. it's a lot to squeeze in. But uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a wild ride, you know. Well, is there a little bit? And I don't know. Tell me if I'm wrong, but when you go out and you go surfing. It's kind of weird because you you have the ocean and it's just completely this thing that you have no control over whatsoever. But you do have control over your own actions with the surfboard and there's there's like a weird feeling when you get that and you understand like it's kind of like an analogy just for life in general where it's like I do have control over myself but there's all these other giant things I have no control over. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, that goes back to like, you know, the concept I was saying there before, like about, you know, that sort of surrender, surrendering to, um, you know, sort of, you know, sometimes you're negative, like, because you're going to have that low point, you know, yeah. and um, it's just about um, sort of being present and, and sort of, and you know, getting through that. And, and yeah, like the, I mean, surf, the surf thing is, um, is, it's a perfect analogy, you know, it's like, you, you know, you can't, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf, you know? So, I mean, that's, yeah, you could, you can't get more spot on like for, for, for a bit of a life lesson there, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I see it to like such a lesser extent, like a majorly lesser extent, but with my daughter, you know, she's just learning to ride the bike and we'll yeah. go out on bike rides and I just see the complete joy she has. Like just crew, like, I don't know. It's just something with like, there's this one thing that I have control over um that that will yeah. lead me into adventure that i think is so cool yeah yeah no that's yeah definitely yeah well so when you go on the deep sea dives like mm. that sounds terrifying to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah it yeah it has its moments um <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely not your normal nine to five you know i, I do i do like specialized uh deep diving it's called saturation diving so um we actually go inside a chamber and we get compressed inside a chamber and we live in there for um, up to 28 days at a time. Um, so it's quite bizarre because it's inside a inside a diving boat, a diving vessel um, called a DSV, diving support vessel. And we're housed in there under pressure. And then we go into this thing called a diving bell and that takes us down to the bottom. And we get out of that and we go to work for like six hours. Then we come back to the diving bell and that takes us back to the chamber the chamber is tiny like it's just a cylindrical um uh, chamber with you know a couple of bunk beds and then an eating an eating area and then a shower and a toilet and that's it so it's just it's you can't even there's like this you can't go for a run you can do some bodyweight exercises you know that's it um so um <laughs> if you want some um covid19 isolation um, training, uh, training. training tips um, I'm, I'm, I'm your i'm your man yeah. where does your mind go to i mean how many people are you in there with so there'll be sorry, yeah. There's teams of three usually, so we're in a okay. in 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 a chamber with three of us, and then there'll be um, another few chambers. So it could be twelve altogether. So there's kind of round the clock, yeah, four teams of three divers, um, you know, working. Um, so yeah, you're 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 you know within a few feet of two other guys, um, for yeah, a whole twenty eight days. So, um, yeah, you you learn how to, <laughs> you know, get on with people. How do you how I mean, what do you guys do to like pass the time? um yeah like we just you know bring in a whole load of movies books and stuff like that and um you know we get some internet down there but it's pretty limited um usually plan 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 some adventures and stuff like that um yeah but yeah it's it can be pretty boring (laughs) (laughs) have you ever brought a movie down that you like hadn't watched before and then halfway through be like man this movie sucks but now we're stuck (laughs) with it (laughs) <laughs> yeah i try it's funny because i'm watching a whole lot of box sets now but i usually don't watch stuff like that when i'm home because yeah. um, i'm obviously outdoors you know yeah. in the valley here in chamonix like if, you know doing stuff but um i usually try to save stuff for work but uh yeah i, I don't know when i'm going back to work with this covid19 stuff and yeah i'm just i'm, I'm watching all the stuff that i usually watch at work right now does it give you a better appreciation for the moments you're able to actually get out there and go explore oh 100 i mean like yeah, like even the fact that I'm locked down now in my apartment, like it's it's not that bad because I mean the chamber there's you're very limited inside a small chamber. You know, I can still we can still go out out here for an hour a day in Germany. Yeah. You know, so like I don't see the light of day for twenty days at a time. You know, so 
um, yeah, you know, you just and we're breathing a different atmosphere as well. So our, our, our the gas that we breathe is like it's not air, it's heliox, so it's helium um, and oxygen mix. So it's like a completely different atmosphere. You know, it's quite it's quite bizarre if you try and like get people to try and say like, have you ever been in another atmosphere? And they're like, I don't understand the question because the Earth's atmosphere is the Earth's atmosphere, but like you're in a heliox, you're inside another atmosphere, which is like a, a totally different breathing gas. You know, so obviously we sound like chipmunks, which is one of the side effects. Because we're breathing helium. I didn't um, want to ask because I didn't want to sound <laughs> stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's quite funny when you when you when you're when you first start doing it, but it's it's a bit annoying after a while because um, yeah, sometimes it's quite hard to understand the other guys, you know, <laughs> especially if you're the deeper you are, the the higher the percentage of helium, so it's quite hard to uh, understand uh, people when you're talking to them. That's crazy, man. Uh, Did you? Uh, I mean, thinking back to when you're a kid, were you ever like, okay, obviously my career is going to be a deep sea diver. <laughs> no no i don't have like one of those things where you know it's like oh you know i dreamt of being a diver at the age of whatever <laughs> no i kind of i'm not definitely not the type of person i'm, I'm quite open to uh, new experiences i don't really have any set like set goals you know like yeah. even with when it comes to like my adventure stuff like i'm just i just leave myself open for to be inspired you know um and i just kind of go down the whatever pops up if i like the idea that i go for it you know so um i think that's kind of what happened with the dive and it just was like you know i didn't really i didn't really think about it too much i just um i just was like you know that sounds cool i want to do it and it was the exact same thing with the when it came to rowing the atlantic because i was like you know going through the airport on the way to work and i was you know usually buy a few books and magazines and i just grabbed this book about this guy who rode the atlantic and i'd heard about it before but i never really knew anything about it and i and you know i took the the book with me into the chamber and i you know i, I read this book um i think what was it called uh salt sweat and tears by this guy called adam rackley really good book because it's about him rowing the atlantic um as a pair but he kind of goes into the history of the sport um and really documents all that as well and he goes and interviews a bunch of people um you know like older guys who'd you know rode like you know 30 40 years ago so just with that whole sort of history and then his his experience um that book really captivated me and um i you know, read the book and then I was like, you know, started looking in, looking into it online and then next thing, like two months later, I'd signed up to do this, uh, um, this race across the Atlantic, the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. Have you ever rode before? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I looked into it a, f- a fair bit and like, it, it wasn't sort of, um, like roll, like kind of like flat water rolling technique wasn't yeah. like a, it wasn't a dead set requirement. Like they actually, there was a couple of people in the race the year before I did it. I had, they got some couple of guys who were like a, Olympic trialists, rowers, Amer- and actually American guys. And they, you know, got them cause they were like, you know, really strong rowers. And then one of them had to get rescued cause he got like severely seasick, you know? So like it was more important to be, you know, uh, have like expedition skills and 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 be mm. a, a bit of a more of a seaman, you know. And and uh, I mean, I suppose I had that going for me. Like I've worked, you know, worked I've worked at sea for fifteen years, so you know, um, you know, I could I had some basic um, some basic sort of skills like that, you know, that were, which 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 were much more transferable than um, you know the ability to to row, you know. Yeah, well, and you probably had a different perspective because when I first read about uh your crossing of the atlantic i the first thing that came to my mind was like most people never experience that type of isolation completely by themselves in the middle of nowhere and but now like kind of understanding a little bit about you know your deep sea diving it kind of you probably came into it with a totally different perspective than anybody else in that race 
Yeah, because for one, I did it on my own. So I was completely solo. Now, I probably would have been actually a really good person to have as a teammate or go into a team because, I mean, I, I work in a team environment. I, yeah. you know, I spend all this time in the chamber with other guys, you know. But, like, that's my job. I get paid to do that. <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to fork out, you know, and then potentially get into a boat and then, you know, end up paying this person or the other people for whatever amount of days. Like, so, you know, I wanted to do do the do it on my own. And it was just, it was less complicated as well in a lot of ways. But obviously more, a lot harder, you know. I mean, going solo is, is, is you know, it's quite, it's quite ridiculous. Like, <laughs> there's the other people, the other people who do, like, in, in pairs and threes and fours are, they're all like, oh, my God, you guys are crazy, you know. So, <laughs> yeah what's yeah, uh so. what's like the start line of the race like like how many people are doing this and and how how quickly do you lose them you know when you're by yourself yeah so the race has been going on on and off for quite a while i think it's nearly yeah, since before 2010 anyway at least at least 10 years but it's been re- it's getting really popular the last few years they they um they used to run it every two years now they run it every year so they've got upwards of like you know 20 30 i think they had 40 boats this year so there's quite quite a lot of boats and it's anything from like five man uh you know four man three man two man to a solo um so the year i did it there was uh i think there's about 13 boats altogether and a mixture of like solo solo up to four man um and yeah it's like this marina in la gomera which is one of the canary islands off africa and um they actually when you start off you it's quite a involved process obviously you know so you know it's very committing you know just you know getting a boat and like getting the boat like shipped to to la gomera um you know like it's a huge investment like it costs such such an amount of money um you know you need to do a bunch of training courses because they want you to you know be sort of you know um have like your kind of day skipper and stuff like that and you know sort of your basic survival stuff you know so there's a lot of stuff of that involved and then there's a lot of like what they call scrutineering so they they kind of make sure you uh, the race organizers make sure you've got like you know all your mandatory kit and like the mandatory kit is just like it's just 20 pages long i mean you know you thought it was bad you know doing a doing an ultra with you know uh, you know uh, with a with a you know 10 liter salmon vest on your back like this is just like you know this is a ridiculous amount of stuff like you've got you have to have like 90 days of wow uh, 90 days of food so that's and that's like 6,000 calories a day and you gotta like so that's like you know f- that's basically like four four like thousand calorie you know uh freeze-dried meals and then like another 2,000 calories of like snack food so you know what I mean it's just it's hundreds of meals and you know a certain amount of those have to be wet rations where you know that you don't need to add water to them you know you, you know um so that then you have to have like this water maker to you know desalinate water then you have to have like spares for that and then yeah. you have to have a hand pump water maker in case that breaks and then if that if, if that breaks again then you have to have well you have to have ballast water so you've got like 60 liters of ballast water you know and then there's just a you know that's just um you know scratching the surface there's just so much other little bits and pieces you know you, you have to have so yeah it's it's pretty crazy that whole process of like you know getting to the start line you know like i got my boat probably uh it was 12 months beforehand and you know sort of had to like you know learn all the um ins and outs of that and do training rows and i had to complete a certain amount of hours and stuff like that so yeah when you do start like it's it is a bit of a relief in one sense because it's been (laughs) such a huge build-up um and then yeah like um there's, there's a yeah obviously a big crowd of people there when you first start and then you know, those the other boats are there and everyone starts off kind of like five minutes in intervals and then within like an hour you're just like completely on your own. And then that was it. I was on my own for the next forty nine days. Wow. How often are you row like how many hours a day are you actively rowing? 
Um, so like with being a solo, you can kind of like pick and choose what you do because there's yeah. nobody else. Like the yeah. like a four a four man team, for example, they had um, they do like two hours on, two hours off. So two guys on the oars, and they two two hours on, two hours off. So they had like a set routine, and, and same with a, a pair. You know, it'd be two hours in, two hours out. So they you know you could stick to a routine whereas like i could kind of do whatever i want but um you know so i kind of just uh, mixed it up really it just all depended i was pretty flexible i kind of settled on a lot of i did a lot of three hours on one hour off and two hours on one hour off um and then i'd sleep a little bit extra at night time so maybe about one o'clock in the morning um, i'd stop and i'd sleep from sleep to like i don't know maybe three hours and I'd be rowing again by, you know, sort of five, half five in the morning. And But yeah, I was pretty flexible. Like it got pretty hot. Like it, uh, um, And then there was times in the middle of the day when it was just so hot, like it wasn't worth rowing. I'd stop and, you know, I'd, 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 you know, chill out a bit and sleep a bit. And then I'd row more in the night and stuff. So it all depended, you know. And then there was times I just couldn't stop rowing because I was getting pushed. I was getting pushed back or I was, oh, yeah. you know, rowing and rowing like with not much wind. And I had like... Um, you know, like a little bit of a, a current coming the other way. So I was like having to like push on just to make grounds and stuff. So like it's, it, it varied a lot, you know, but I'd say, I'd say I definitely rolled at least 12 hours, if not more a day, you know, probably wow. more like I was rolling. I yeah, probably did towards the end. I was doing a lot like, cause I was trying to finish under 50 days. So I was rolling 16, 17 hours a day. Wow, man. Were you, were you worried about like the big ships or anything like that? yeah i mean it was definitely a concern you know because there's a lot of big uh oil tankers and cargo vessels out there crossing the atlantic and going in all sorts of directions but um uh we had an ais automatic identification software so that was a a system every boat has most boat well most boats at sea have to have it nowadays so you'd have a kind of like almost like a radar if something would show up like you know and you could see their call sign and see what um, their heading is and stuff like that. So anytime I did spot um, spot on a big one, they were always quite far away, you know, so I never never got, you know, very, very close to them. But I was always able to say, like, well, okay, I can see their heading now. So I know, like, if I adjust my heading, I'm going to completely avoid them, you know. Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, that was the, probably the, some of the scariest things was at nighttime, like I ran into um, ran into some debris. And like smacked it at nighttime when I was asleep. Like I smacked, I don't know what I what I hit the bow of the boat. Like hit something hard. I woke up. I was like, oh my god, I'm after ripping a hole in this, you know. And it's just, um, you know, it was quite scary. So there was, like, I went through. Like obviously, you're out there for like 50 days. You go through nearly like two moon cycles. Um, and like obviously, when there's like no moon at all, it's like pitch black. Um, and that was quite disconcerting a lot of the time because you, you know, you when you had the waves smack inside of the boat it's you know you just it's catching you off guard and you just don't know what's going on so the nights the nights i found the nights quite tough out there especially when it was um when there was no moon yeah did you hit any big storms or anything like that no we were pretty lucky um like because you're going over at the time so the, the the row starts in december and you know you're rolling right through to the like, middle of december to to like february which is obviously the northern hemisphere winter but what happens is a lot of the storms, you know, that uh, that I years ago I would have been surfing um, in Ireland are quite far north, but a lot of them do push south, um, and you can get hit pretty hard. <clears throat> and what happened is we got a couple in the beginning, but they end up being like coming behind us, so um, we didn't get pushed back, which is obviously not nice, like because you, you have this thing called a sea anchor, a big parachute, power anchor, parachute anchor. So you can, if you're getting pushed back the other direction, you can put this out and it'll stop you. Yeah. And you might have to just sit on that and you might wait that out for a couple of days. But we didn't have, I only had to do that like briefly, not like very long, you know, like a few hours at a time. But 
<clears throat> when we first started, it was quite crazy. We had like straight away, we had some quite strong winds and big waves. We'd like sort of like four or five meter, like, you know, like 20, 25 foot like seas, but like, you know, behind us. Um, and like, it was, yeah, like I actually, I actually got really into it because I was like surfing these waves <laughs> yeah. in the boat and I was going down these waves and I was getting like 15 knots at one stage um like surfing down these waves um and it was actually quite fun because i was making huge ground like i was doing like in 24 hours i did i don't know like i don't know something crazy like 70 miles you know um because i was just like just flying down these waves and then i'd kind of like rattle around at the bottom and then like kind of regain myself and then i'd do another couple of strokes and i'd like lean back and i actually ended up putting a lot of my ballast water into the bow the right up into the nose of the uh the boat so i'd have like more weight so as soon as I like went up this wave, like the weight of it would just shoot me down it. But like I, I came to the point where I was like nearly capsizing at the bottom because I was augering off to the side and stuff. So it was quite, it was quite gnarly. Like I was definitely like I had a like a climbing harness and I was like you know I had a lanyard and I was strapped in like you know because I was like afraid of getting like flung out of the boat. You know. That's crazy, man. Did, uh, did you ever just like, you know, with peaceful waters, not in moments like that? Did you ever just jump over to into the water on the side of the boat oh yeah or yeah yeah i got in a lot like because i wasn't getting washed in the other way so i was jumping in for a swim um and also i had to scrape the bottom of the boat you know i had anti-foul paint on but oh, i still yeah, had yeah. stuff still, still had stuff stuff growing on the bottom so i'd get in with like a little scraper and scrape the bottom of the boat um so yeah i, I used to do that and um you know i had some pods of dolphins come by and like that was amazing i i, I was actually lying in the cabin one day and you know the you're, you're pretty much right at waterline obviously lying in the in the in the cabin the boat has a little cabin in the front that you can get into and it's got all your like electrics and stuff and you can shut the hatch and you can be safe in there but i was like lying in there and i could just hear the 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 clicks you know the the the, the dolphin sonar um and then i like came out and hopped in and there was like a pod of like 15 that came just swimming around and it was yeah it was pretty pretty special like so yeah, there was some pretty pretty nice moments of that, but then I had a couple of sharks come by as well, like, and that, that stopped me getting in the water for a couple of days. That's yeah. awesome. What does that feel like? I mean, most people aren't going to experience what it's like to be in the middle of the Atlantic, but then also to jump in, like, and just start swimming, mm-hmm. and you're like, I'm in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean right now. That's crazy. Yeah, like when I before I went out there, you know, I I was. Um, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I'm definitely gonna go for a swim and you know get in and all this and you know because I'm a diver and blah blah blah. And, and then when it came, when push came to shove, you know, I kind of looked over the side and I was like, eh, I was very hesitant, you know, because it is. But I always had myself strapped on, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah it would just be tragic if you, you know, because the boat could just get away from you, if, you know. But I never, I never got in on the crazy, you know, the crazy windy days. Yeah. It was always the calm, the calm, calm days, and we had a lot of calm weather. Actually, it was quite a because that route is the trade wind route. So like if you're going to cross an ocean sailing or rowing or otherwise, that's like the safest, easiest route to cross. Cause generally you've got, you know, 80% of the time more, maybe close to hundred percent of the time you've got like a good trade wind behind you. So it's just pushing you across. Um, so you're getting a lot of help there, but like we had a quite, we had a big lull in the middle, um, which was, which was not nice for obviously for rowing, but it was actually ended up like, it was some of my most memorable, moments out there uh, like i've never experienced solitude uh, emptiness calmness um in like you know some of these times when i was just sitting out there where it was just like so flat like no wind no sound nothing you know just um and just trying to like trying to take it all in you know that's incredible man uh what um 
what do people when you meet somebody for the first time and they're like you know getting to know you and stuff and then all of a sudden you just drop it on them like hey yeah oh yeah i solo rode the atlantic <laughs> <laughs> like what are the reactions like? <laughs> uh yeah it's not like yeah people it's hard for people to fathom i suppose it's not something that's done by a lot of people so <laughs> they're just like um, okay yeah <laughs> cool man <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely uh yeah it's definitely a good talking point you know but yeah yeah sort of <laughs> pretty try to be pretty humble and not like brag too much you know but, um so i'm not like telling everyone left right and center hey, i rode the atlantic you yeah, know so yeah, yeah yeah um but yeah i know it's definitely a very very unique experience and yeah to spend 50 days completely on your own is is, is pretty crazy um yeah it's uh you know you're you're gonna there's no escaping yourself there you know you're gonna you're gonna get through some stuff you're gonna you know learn about yourself uh, um and uh you know hopefully come out the 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 other side of it a better person yeah yeah man where did you end up like where do you finish that at uh you finished in, in antigua so okay. um yeah so right right in the in the middle of the uh the caribbean there so yeah it was pretty pretty crazy i've never been there before and um yeah, like it's quite quite intense coming in there because um, you know there's a rocky sh- rocky kind of it's a rocky island and you got to get you know it's navigating around into this bay and um, yeah, I finished at night time which was um, made it kind kind of a bit more strange because we came into this place called English Harbour and there was all that there was um, they they had a support boat come out and meet us and you know there was like you know people taking photos and stuff and there's actually a couple of little boats there so it wasn't you know it wasn't we weren't completely on your own it was quite a um it was quite overwhelming actually because when i got in there was all these like massive super yachts i had this like super yacht week there and it was on that week in february <laughs> when i arrived so there was all these like mega yachts there and it was nighttime and they had like their masks all lit up and they just looked like like alien like that's so weird. You know, everything just looked completely alien to me because if you can imagine you're just out there in in the ocean and all you're seeing is sky you're seeing clouds and water basically and that's it so it's sort of almost like two, like sensory overload and i'll never forget i i um when i rounded the headland into the actual bay like and i could see all these um super yachts and stuff with that all the lights i remember the wind had like shifted obviously because i came in around this headland and i got this like whiff of land and it was like this this smell i was like whoa what's that it was like vegetation and clay and i was like whoa because it was just like a different smell i was like Geez, that's what like that's what it normally smells like. I've just all I've smelled is sea air for the last fifty days. So all all of, all of a sudden it was like this like kind of like pungent like vegetation smell. I was like, whoa, that's a bit that's a bit odd. And it was just like that like all that kind of like sensory overload was happening. And then um, I got into this English harbor and yeah, these these super yachts started like letting off their horns as I was coming in, and and oh, there was all these yeah yeah there was all these like uh, you know uh, yachties, all these crew members all out on the decks all like cheering me in, and then but you come by all this like this massive marina and there's like all these like restaurants and stuff with um you know and people are having dinner, but everyone had stopped having their dinner and they all get up and they're like clapping me in and stuff, and you go kind of further in then and then there's like this kind of actual proper Finnish uh, marina where where um like my, my sister was there and a couple of friends and and like there was a whole crowd of people that i didn't know but there were just people that were in antigua that were like oh let's go see this like rower come in this is road across the atlantic so it was just yeah it was crazy and like just a yeah it was almost it was too much almost you know there was like a bunch of cameras in my face and i like got off the boat and i literally couldn't like sound up properly because i was spent all that time in this little like 20 foot long boat that was just like moving constantly like so there was never a point where like i could properly stand up like without like you know holding on to something like i had these like jack stays which are kind of like you know just kind of ropes down the side that i'd always have to grab you know like 
as an example, like I like you know I couldn't actually go for um, I, I couldn't go for a piss off the side of the boat. Like it actually wasn't like it would it would like if you try and stand one side of it, the whole boat would go over. Whoa. So like yeah, like it's that unstable. You know, it's just a small little boat. Yeah, so I would actually yeah. have to go into the cabin, like lie down and like piss into like a bottle, and then I pour that over the side. You know, like yeah. that's how like you know so like <laughs> you're just constantly you're constantly uh, being like bot you know just moved around the place. Um, Did you have so, yeah, seasickness I, at all or? No, I wasn't too bad. Like I mean, I um, obviously. Sp- I've spent a bit of time at sea, so obviously in bigger boats. But I took some precautions, like I wore those patches on my yeah. neck, and um, you know I spent a bit of time in the in the training rows and stuff. So I mean, I wasn't seasick, but I I remember my stomach just being off for the first ten days. I wasn't like really, I wasn't really enjoying the food that I was eating. You know, yeah. <laughs> all that all those dried meals got a bit um, got a bit tired of them after after a while. You know, what was the first thing you like after you get on shore? All the craziness happens. Did you just instantly like? go to sleep like go to a hotel and fall asleep or like what was the what did you do <laughs> uh well it was funny we they had like um they had had a bird they had a had a like they'd set up a uh, like a, a little dinner table for you yeah. and they brought out this like burger and stuff and and chips and you had a can of coke and like that the, it, it had actually gone cold because there was a bunch of people talking to me and it was just i it, you know i hadn't got over there in time and so it was kind of underwhelming having the burger, but the can of Coke was, was amazing because I hadn't had anything cold to drink. Yeah. So like when you're out there, you're drinking this tepid, um, uh, desalinated water, you know, that I put like, you know, different, uh, you know, hydration tablets into and stuff like that. But like I, it was never, I never had a cold drink. So the whole time I was out there, I was always fantasizing about a cold drink. So, um, <laughs> that, yeah, that, that first like cold, cold <laughs> can of Coke was nice. And then after that, uh, my sister was there. She'd organized to come out and she'd booked a, a hotel up the road. So we just like walked up there and then um, I ended up getting a pizza and just, yeah, crashing out and looking at myself in the mirror for the first time in 50 days. And I'd lost like uh, 30 pounds, you know. Wow. So, yeah, it was pretty, pretty, pretty scary, like seeing myself in the mirror for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. That's would you ever do another sea adventure? Or? I actually wanted to roll back from uh, New York to Ireland. Like I actually started to plan it. Uh, while I was out there, started getting the idea in my head, and I actually shipped the boat from Antigua up to New York. And the plan was to row from Battery Park in New York across to Galway, where I'm from on the west coast. So I had it in my mind that, like, um, you know, this would be an incredible adventure. But unfortunately, what happened is I, when I came back, I had a pain in my back. I had a pain in my back throughout the row, like it was kind of like my spinal erectors, you know, those muscles right down the side of the spines, they were kind of spasming quite a lot. And yeah. like, I was always trying to like stretch it out and stuff and, you know, kind of like fought through the pain and, and, you know, it wasn't that bad, but you know, it kind of never went away. And then I started planning this other row. Um, and like, I was going to see my physio and, and then eventually like he couldn't figure it out. So he said, look, I think you should go get an MRI. I went and got an MRI and I had a stress fracture in my T7. So yeah, I had a, you know, you know, obviously a pretty significant like injury. So you know, I had to knock that on the head and, you know, obviously recover from that. So, and then after that, I, yeah, the kind of fire left me a little bit because um, obviously being injured, you know, you kind of reevaluate and stuff with like that. And yeah, I kind of like had to, you know, put the reins on that. And I ended up selling the boat then after that, because I got approached by a couple of guys who were doing the race the following year and they were, um, they were quite desperate for a boat. So yeah. kind of was like, oh, do you want to just like, you know get this off your hands right now so i kind of went with that and um yeah so yeah obviously there's the idea that 
the inspiration is still there to do something like that. But again, it's um, there's a lot of planning, there's a lot of sacrifice. It's just it's it's quite tricky the whole thing really just getting it together. Um, like it it's made something like the Iditarod Trail planning for that seem a lot easier. Like yeah. you know you've got this you've got a sled for the Iditarod Trail and like like you've got all this gear like it's so much more than you know obviously doing a normal ultra like but it's quite overwhelming for a lot of people like you know to like you know have a stove and tent and extra food and blah blah blah. But after rolling the Atlantic and dealing with all that crap, um, you know it's made the Iditarod seem quite simple, which it is. You know like it's just um, it's a bit of gear and you know you get out and you go for a run. You know and yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you end up eating the ninety days worth of dried food? <laughs> no, I came nowhere close because obviously I, I did it in 50 days and yeah, like 90 yeah. days is a lot of food so yeah I, I, I actually I was in this kind of towards the end I was in this race with this other boat and, and there was actually three guys in it I was I, I actually finished ahead of them there uh, by about an hour um, they they uh, they'd kind of had a lot of problems early on they had a lot of mechanicals and stuff for that and um, so they were quite far behind but then they were catching they were catching up all the time towards the end. They were like really, really close to me by the very end. And then, you know, a couple of days out, I was like, well, I've got all this extra food, like, and I've got this extra weight. Can I lose, can I lose some of it? You know, yeah. cause I'll be faster yeah. if I'm lighter. So I ended up like breaking open all these packets of, uh, free dried food and like emptying it out, feeding the fish. <laughs> so I got rid, I got rid of a lot of that. Uh, you know, but yeah, I, I was, I was so sick of that food at that stage. <laughs> I actually, the last two weeks, the only thing I ate was rice pudding, you know, the like the, a dessert. Yeah. So I had all these extra rice pudding desserts, and I, that's all I ate for two weeks. Like, um, like I was completely rotten from the inside out because I was so sick of eating the other ones. I had a lot of like curries and stuff like that, and they're just not nice to eat when you're at sea, you know, because like, you get the repeat onion stuff. Yeah. So I and even with and with all those as well, the with the rice pudding ones, I would uh, I just rehydrate them with cold water, so they were easier to deal with. I just I wouldn't have to use my I had a jet boil, I wouldn't use that at all. So I just you know I'd have the them rehydrated and have them like kind of stashed all over the place. So I'd just be able to just grab one. And just like I had them quite watery as well, so I could just drink the whole thing down, which is a thousand calories. Because a lot of these other meals, like they're quite thick and heavy, and you could you having to sit there and eat them, uh, you know, with a you know with a with a like a liter of water, and you'd be trying to like you know take a couple of spoons and then like drink and then you know try and get it all down. Just to, it took too long, so I just found it more efficient to just like smash this, uh, you know, <laughs> this uh, rice pudding just down into me, you know. So um, I quite, I got quite yeah. And I think that's an important part of the expedition stuff is that you gotta you gotta get the, the kind of animalistic, you know. Yeah. Um, and you know, like you see, you you know, you hear hear of a lot of people who like get stomach issues and stuff like that, and like I empathize with that, and I've had them myself during races and stuff, you know. But like you're, you know, if you're not able to just, uh, you know, if you if you can learn to be not really too fussy and just you know see calories as just fuel and just like force it into you and know it because you know you need to get that stuff into you at some stage. Um, you know, just sort of fight through that sort of stuff and, and not be sort of, uh, yeah, as I said, not be too fussy. Yeah. Uh, then you, you know, you're, you're going to be success. Yeah. I'm imagining you rowing past all the yachts, just like staring them down, just eating dried food. <laughs> Actually I was wearing, uh, most of the time you're not wearing a whole lot of clothes out there. So it's just wearing a pair of boxers or you know, a pair of shorts or something. Yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of people row naked out there because, um, there's less, um, chafing. less, less chafing and friction. So, but I had one thing I had, um, I kept in one like kind of clean pair of clothes was this, uh, l these Irish boxers, like they're a pair of, uh, green, white and, or and, and orange, um, men's underwear that I got on eBay. They were, they were called se sexy men's Irish underwear. So uh, I kept these like, 
you know, in the Slipknot bag and they were the only clean bit of clothes. Like everything else was just like, you know, just destroyed with like salt and, yeah. you know, like <laughs> crap, you know, they were just dirty <laughs> and horrible. And like, so I put these on in the last like, you know, few hours. So I had this one, like, you know, I came in kind of looking, uh, looking like a wild man in my, <laughs> my uh, tricolor uh, underwear on. <laughs> You're like, you're welcome, yacht people. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. man. Well, hey, I wanted to uh, kind of – this this last part here. So I wrote down mm. like just a couple different words, and I wanted to get your perspective as someone who's gone on all these adventures. Yeah. Um, I thought of this last night. I woke up at like 1 in the morning to because my 1-year-old woke up. And I had right. this idea. I'm like, oh, it's the, you know how when you sometimes you wake up and you're like, this is the most genius idea I've ever had. <laughs> it was one of those moments. And I'm I'm not 100 percent. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure it's a genius idea, but we'll see how it goes. Um, so, yeah, just your perspective on just a couple different like concepts here. So okay. the first one I wrote down, this is <laughs> this is the one I had in the middle of the night. I wrote wonderment and I'm like. I woke up and looked at that. I'm like, that's, I don't even know if that's a word, man, but just, uh, like wonder and curiosity, like what's your perspective now that you've gone out and you've, you've taken on these adventures? Well, I mean, like, it's a great word and wonderment, I suppose, um, is, is one of the, definitely one of the driving forces for getting out there. You know, yeah. I mean, that's like, I mean, it's like, I, you know, the, when I got into diving, you know, it was like that was, it was just pure wonderment. It was like, what's it like down there? What, I mean, what's going on you know, 200 meters below the ocean, you know, and like what's going on, what's it like to be out in the middle of the ocean? What's it like to be, you know, in the interior of Alaska in, you know, minus 40, like that's, that's wonderment. So yeah, like, I mean, that, that definitely is for me like a, a real basic driving force. And that's a absolute <laughs> brilliant word really, because like aside from, you know, a million other like complex reasons for going out and doing stuff whatever it is you know like you're trying to inspire others or raising money for charity or challenging yourself like it's basically like well i wonder what it's like you know to be in a windstorm in minus 50 in the middle yeah. of alaska you know what i mean or yeah. i wonder you know whatever it is like and that that's that for me that's you know that's that's definitely um you know the basis and i think yeah like if, if you've got that if you've got that part of you you know, I suppose like, yeah, nurture that and, 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 and definitely use that, you know, because for me, um, you know, I think everybody has it, but like, you know, whether or not they go through with getting out there, um, is another story because obviously you've got the fear and they're like, Oh, I can't do it. And all the doubt and stuff with that, you know? So, um, that's, you know, coming back to like meeting all the people who do the Iditarod and that community of people and meeting, you know, all the people who rode the Atlantic, like they're all the people that have, have that wonderment and they've gone out and they've like gone well i'm gonna go and see what it's like and i'm gonna put myself in that scenario and see how i you know see how i fare um whereas a lot of people you know they never do that in their lives you know they they they, they spend it you know being fearful and in doubt yeah yeah well um so the next word is resilience also thank you for giving me props because i really didn't know if wonderment was a word so <laughs> oh no that was actually a really good one because i've i've thought of that before so yeah it's definitely spot on. <laughs> um how has your thought on uh thoughts on resilience changed like throughout your lifetime um resilience yeah i suppose that's a funny one because so like I've done all these like, you know, inverted commas, like world's toughest row, you know, world's coldest ultramarathon, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And there's all this like kind of marketing talk around all this stuff. Yeah. And yeah. like, 
you know, don't get me wrong, some of these things are hard and like, you know, I get a lot of people telling me, you know, uh, oh, you're so resilient and, you know, you're so mentally tough and like, I don't think that like mental toughness is exclusive or resilience is exclusive to like somebody who does some sort of hard challenge. I think everybody has it to some degree in their lives. They just have to recognize it, um, you know, and, and, and sort of like have perspective, you know, um, you know, I mean, look at what's happening now with COVID-19. You know? I mean, like, you know, we're being asked, you know, to stay at home and like people are out there, you know, in hospitals working and stuff. And, you know, like it's easy to, you know, do all these like adventures and be in these like tough scenarios and like kind of like get almost like drunk on this, like, oh, I'm so resilient. Like, but, you know, just day to day, um, you know, people struggling in their lives, you know, um, uh, you know, that's that's a basic. And I suppose for me, personally like you know having gone through what i went through like i wanted to take my own life at the age of 19 like you know i i had this alcohol and drug problem i had a tough tough upbringing you know like i've been through a lot personally and like i you know i found all that stuff like a lot harder than you know going out to alaska and like suffering through a few nights of sleep deprivation you know like that's perspective that i have you know like like all that sort of stuff just I ended up kind of in the midst of it like as a teenager and like I wasn't you know wasn't I didn't really feel like there was a whole lot of choice going on there whereas like with regards to like you know you know doing these challenges like ultra marathons like you know there it's just an unbelievable privilege to be going to do that stuff you know um and it's a massive choice you know it's a, it's you know like I'm choosing to go out there and suffer I'm choosing to be in, in out in the middle of the Atlantic like there's so much happening in the world two people right now that is not their choice you know yeah. and they're having to fight through that with their own resilience you know and you know um yeah so it's it's all about perspective when it comes to that um and i think like you know it's not an exclusive thing i don't think it's something that um you know you know people have inherently i think everybody has it they just need to recognize it you know that they've they've been in you know tough situations in their life and they are they are resilient you know so yeah yeah man yeah for sure um two more uh what's your perspective on fear after being in situations where you know i have to assume there is fear involved with crossing the atlantic or doing one of these winter ultras or something like that yeah i suppose i don't know i've got like things kind of backwards in the whole fear element (laughs) of stuff i think like um yeah so I don't have any issue with, uh, you know, doing like, you know, kind of stuff like that. Surfing waves with your rowboat. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I I started paragliding last year and like my first flight was, you know, quite gnarly. Actually, it was like a, you know, I got stuck in a thermal straight away and like I'd never (laughs) done a par and I'd I'd never done a a tandem before. I just like the instructor just like, you know, sent me off the side of this like mountain. I just like got sucked up into this thermal. So like all that sort of stuff is like for me I don't know like I'm just maybe I'm just a bit of a knucklehead or whatever but I've <laughs> I've been okay with it like but I like I struggle in like you know like basic stuff like I mean if I have to like sit down and talk to somebody and yeah. like tell them like my feelings <laughs> and like communicate like you know my fears around like you know a relationship or like you know the you know maybe like you know uh, telling somebody I'm not happy with them in some way or you know what I mean or not you know like to me like some of that life stuff you're like give like, me the atlantic ocean man yeah 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 so you know what i mean like so 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of like, you know, people who can like, you know, deal with like, you know, domestic stuff and family situations and like stick in relationships and stuff like, you know, I, I actually, you know, think that's, you know, they have more courage than me sometimes. Like, I just feel like, yeah, maybe I'm just a bit stupid, you know? So yeah, there's different elements of it, you know, but I mean, you know, I suppose we're all on our, on our own little journey. Some people have got to like, you know, do, you know, the, the, the stuff that I do to, to push their, uh, push their boat out and you know for me i've got to um try and be try and be a better human uh with you know the people but that's the people around me but that's the problem that i have is that like you know obviously the things that i do are quite like you know they're quite um they're quite selfish i suppose in a lot of ways you know like i'm you know like when i'm training for like the iditarod like it's all about that and like yeah. you know doing that and then i'm going out there and it's yeah it can be a lot of be a lot about myself so and then i don't have a lot of energy left for other people so um you know like it's important to you know, for me, I'm learning to try and, yeah, like look out, look out for other parts of my life, you know, as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and that'll kind of lead into the last one. Um, yeah. I thought of this word. So the last word is contentment. And I was just thinking like being an adventurer and exploring the world and seeing so many different parts of the world. But then, you know, right now being isolated in your little yeah. area, you know, like your community, your apartment your out, outward community outside of that i think you you sent me a message and you said like one kilometer or something like that or two kilometers yeah so yeah we have a we have a radius we're allowed we can't leave a one kilometer radius yeah. and it's quite strict like as in you need to know that radius like you, every, you know you've got they've got websites set up like uh where you just go and you you know you've got to you put in your address and it popped up straight away one yeah. kilometer radius you know so that's obviously yeah it's it's um it's very, very different. Like life has changed a lot for, for us over the past, for everyone, for the world, you know? So obviously our perspectives are changing. Like all these races have been canceled and people yeah. are like obviously focusing on what's important now, which is like, you know, trying to, you know, fight this, um, this outbreak and, and hopefully we can get back to a normal way of life. So yeah, like contentment now is, I suppose it's pretty relative. Um, for me, I suppose the one example I'll give you, like, is that, you know, for me, I'm a, you know, I, I have an addictive personality, you know, like I had, like I spoke about this problem with alcohol and drugs, you know, the problem for me was that I couldn't stop, you know, I'd start drinking and I just couldn't stop drinking. It would be like two, three days later. And same thing. I take drugs excessively. So that was always in me and I've always seen that and I've always recognized it. And it was, it's the same for me in, in adventure. Like I, you know, I gravitate towards like all oh, the longest and hardest more. It's always about more, you know? Yeah. So I've had to learn like over the years, about i mean sort of like really trying to stop myself in my tracks you know like and a really good example of that would be like a one adventure that i did a few years ago is that i crossed lake baikal in siberia so uh, i walked across like with the sled same sort of stuff as you did rob but like a solo expedition um like 400 i don't know like 30 miles across lake baikal and then so when i finished like i finished in like i don't know 16 17 days and i got to the very end and like again it was like similar to the Tidorad, well, you know, there's like nobody there, you know, like I'm just like, I had this contact that I was supposed to call and he was going to go pick me up. But like I got to the very end and I like I sat, I sat on my sled and um, I noticed like I was at the end of the lake, there was like this kind of marsh that was kind of still frozen. And I said to myself, oh, you're not really at the end there. You could probably go a bit further. And then I was like, hang on a minute, like just, just hold your horses here. Like you've just walked like, you know, whatever 400 odd miles you've just like battled through like a night nightmarish conditions like you've been through it all and like you've got to the end of the lake you've been you're at the village at the end of the lake and there's like this little bit more at the end and you're like that's i could probably go a bit further you know yeah. and then i just was like stop will you like you're you're done you know so 
like it's just having that thing of just being content like with what you have and, and I suppose like coming back to what I said earlier um, was that like I got to go to Alaska and I did the Alaska thing and I got back before all the COVID stuff so like I am content now and I do feel for people that have been planning like other races and stuff that have been cancelled and stuff for like that you know um, but like I mean there's more important things right now you know yeah. Um, and it, yeah you just need to be you need to have perspective and be content and that's what I'm at right now I'm just I am grateful for for finishing Alaska but I'm realizing that like you know I'm I'm fit and healthy now you know I've got my apartment here you know I can get out for my run um I don't know when I'm going back to work like or if I'm going back to work anytime soon because there's a lot of you know stuff there obviously with that so um it's just about I suppose keeping things in the day you know just not projecting too much yeah, you know and just yeah. being trying just trying to be content in, in yourself really yeah yeah I re- totally relate to that because you know I'm I have the same like wanting to keep going and do more and do more and do more and recently I'm like how do I slow down and just be okay with what I'm doing right now you know? well I mean this is I mean there's this is why you know, there's a there's there's certain um, positives if, yeah. if you can even say that word around the the COVID nineteen stuff is that like you know we are being forced to stop, yeah. you know, and take a bit Slow of stock down. and and use that time you know to you know obviously spend every minute of the day with your family as you are, but you know like I mean yeah sort of you know just you know reevaluate and, and and sort of not have some next goal you know which is like hard for people because everyone's like oh like I've got my next thing set up here you know and yeah. You, you always have that like you know i'm training now and i don't know what i'm training for but i mean i'm, I'm training because i'm able to go outside for an hour and that's you know that's good enough you know it's not it's and, not it's not about it's not about some ultra or some other next next challenge in the moment it's just about you know the, the basics and you know there's nothing wrong with that that's good no and it's i'm finding like oh i'm just appreciating like moving my body right now you know yeah yeah which yeah, when you're training yeah. for things you can get overwhelmed with like what you Absolutely. have to do that day. So Yeah, you get into that process stuff where it's like, yeah. you know, you're you're in that like, you know, training process where, you know, you're following a plan and, you know, you're sort of a slave to that, which is good because people need that. People need that sort of structure and routine and I don't like, you know, I've done a lot of that myself. Um, but it's nice to be out of that as well and and and, and just be, yeah, um doing it for other reasons yeah man yeah well gavin thank you so much for coming on where can people kind of like follow your adventures your future adventures uh, wherever that may be uh, i think instagram is easiest to like most people it's uh uh at solo gav but it's s-o-u-l-o-g-a-v and then there's my, my i've got a website on there but i i don't really do too much on on that but yeah most um if you want to read a little bit about the um you did a rod. I did a, a series of posts there. That was the last thing I put up. Nice. Um, kind of like day to day happenings out there. And uh, yeah, there's a bunch of. Did you start them all with like still cold? <laughs> day three, still cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just now, I just kind of descended more and more craziness as it went on. It's just like a a, a, a tale of a, yeah, just descending further and further into delirium. Oh, sweet, man. <laughs> I'm totally reading them right now as soon as yeah, we're yeah. done talking. Uh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show, man. Like, I really, yeah. really appreciate it. And, you know, I don't know if you ever make it to Denver for any uh, fun adventures, but but let me know if you do. Yeah, hopefully one day get out there for hard rock. That's obviously if that's ever, ever that could ever Dude, happen. Oh my god! <laughs> like seeing, I, I don't know about running it for myself, but seeing the course somehow is yeah. on my bucket list. Like that yeah. looks amazing. So yeah, it does. Yeah, no, the mountains over there. I just yeah, I love. I, I love. I've, I've been to Aspen. I like did a bit of skiing there briefly yeah. for years ago. But yeah, I'd love to get out there in the summer. So yeah, cool, man. hopefully one day. Cool.
All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Cool. Cheers, Chris. Yeah, see you, man. That wraps up the show this week. Um, Definitely go on Instagram and follow uh, Gavin, Solo Gavin, S-O-U-L-O-G-A-V. So Solo Gav. Um, That was one of the coolest experiences I've had with the podcast. (laughs) Like just to talk to somebody and imagine somebody rowing across an entire ocean by themselves is completely fascinating it's scary like it has to be just a scary thing you know to step into your boat on shore and know like you aren't getting off of this boat until you're at another continent until you've crossed an ocean oh and by the way the only way to cross this ocean is by physically moving your boat across it using your own power it's crazy man that just like completely blows my mind um winning the iditarod we talked about it a few episodes with ryan and emily wanless uh who by the way i have to thank for setting up this interview with gavin they they instantly after we talked they were like yeah so we met the coolest guy in the world in alaska and you definitely need to interview him i'm like yeah because they told me a couple of things that he did i'm like oh my god that sounds amazing um and so huge thanks to them but it's the same with the iditarod like to go through the alaskan wilderness on foot without many other people around like you don't have a safety net the fact just the idea of like not having a safety net is i think the thing that really intrigues me and captures my imagination and honestly impresses me Uh, a lot of people you know a lot of people aren't going to have that experience you know we we have a lot of safety nets like even you know if you run an ultra marathon you know down here in the states or or wherever but a lot of the ultra marathon events like you have the safety net of aid stations and you have you know, the idea that people are out there and, you know, if something happened, most likely you're going to be able to, um, you know, safely make your way out. But when you're in Alaska, when you're in the middle of the ocean, you know, or you're up on a a peak, which we barely even got into that, that safety net shrinks and becomes really, really small. And obviously like people take precautions and things like that, but it's, it's just a different ball game for sure. Um, so yeah and just you know just gavin's uh willingness just to be open about you know his thoughts and his mindset and how um he's he's uh grown along the way was really really cool and on top of all that i think i read on his website beforehand which is gavinhinnigan.com uh i think i read that he was a deep sea saturation diver and I'm just like, okay, <laughs> I had no idea what that meant. I'm like, I have no idea what that means. I guess that means he dives in the ocean. Did not know that meant that you live underwater for a month at a time in a tiny room. Uh, like that's that's just an incredible thing in and amongst itself. So um, one of my favorite things with the with by doing this podcast and sharing it with you guys is that we're all able to um, kind of discover these really cool, awesome people who have 
very unique experiences. Um, and that's something that I love hearing about. I love reading about. Um, I love, you know, documentaries that kind of follow those experiences or follow these sports or, or quests or adventures or expeditions, you know, those are the things that, that really kind of light a fire under me to go out and take on whatever I'm trying to take on, you know, even if it's not anything as, as gigantic as, you know, (laughs) rowing across an ocean or something like that. Um, and I hope that's what you guys are taking away too. And I appreciate it. I appreciate all the feedback that I've been getting over the last few weeks. Um, I really do think the next month of the podcast here and really, I mean, I just really think these ones, these episodes that I've recorded over the last few weeks are just going to absolutely captivate you and blow your minds. Um, because they did for me and I've already recorded. I have three more that I've already recorded, um, that are going to come out. And each one is just high level stuff in my opinion, uh, because the guests are just magnificent. So, uh, next week, if you want to prepare and you've listened this long into the show, uh, you can go on YouTube and type in the 50. So I think that's it. Let me, let me just double check the 50. Make sure nothing weird comes up. Okay. Yeah. The 50 and check out Cody Townsend's YouTube channel. Um, basically the premise, he's a professional skier turned ski mountaineer and he's trying to climb and ski down, uh, the 50 most iconic, um, routes in North America. Um, it's some of the best adventure, uh, show like adventure short films out there in my opinion. And he's been putting out a new one every week. Um, he just put out episode 26. So that's something you guys can totally check out and watch. It's, it's something for the last month or so that I've just been totally enthralled in and to be able to sit down and talk with Cody just was the, was really, really cool. Um, also if you want to see the craziest video ever, which I will post on our Facebook and Instagram. Look up Cody Townsend uh, line of the year because this is what we start. We'll start the podcast talking about. So I'm giving you guys homework this this week. As a teacher, this is what I do. Uh, if you look up best ski line of 2014 with Cody Townsend, it's by Red Bull. It's probably the craziest 30 seconds of a ski film. Actually, check that. It's maybe the craziest 30 seconds of a film (laughs) that I've seen. Uh, It is mind-blowing. So we talked about that quite a bit. So anyways, come back next week. You guys will enjoy it. Um, Yeah, huge thanks to Gavin. You rock, man. I would be so honored to listen to to you tell stories for for hours and hours and definitely uh some other episodes in the future man so um all right guys we'll get back at you next week see ya